0: Father, that is a proclamation of truth. That you are exalted over all. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. There is none like you. There is none who can stand against you. There is none that can stand beside you. You have made your enemies your footstool. Father, and who are we that we would be able to declare such mystery, such glorious truth, God? but by the blood of Jesus Christ that we can approach the throne of grace of confidence right now receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need and God we are a people in need whether we recognize it or not we have a massive need for you every moment of every day and let that truth resonate in our hearts and let that fuel a desire for you a passion for you a humility before you and a repentance towards you God oh Lord maybe so today do this work today in our hearts as we open your word, Lord, be with my mouth, keep it from error, let not one word be uttered that is not of you, let the name of Christ be exalted, and Lord, let this word fall on teachable hearts, humble hearts, these are the people you are looking to worship you, Lord, those that say, yes, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, not our will, God, but yours be done, may it be so today, Spirit of the living God, continue to move among this place, Rebuke and refresh and restore and convict God by the power of your gospel because you can and you promise you will as your people call upon your name. So Lord, we pray this, God, in the name of Jesus Christ, remove distractions and come and meet with us. In Jesus' mighty name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated. May be seated. What a blessed time of worship that is. Well, as Curtis said, I will reiterate again: uh, welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Ottawa. For those of you who don't know, Uh, my name is Ray Kaprowski and I have the great privilege of serving here as the senior pastor of this church and what a humbling thing it is to see so many people that God is growing his church I remember I remember it was only like a year and a half ago when there were seven people sitting around a table at Eastside Mario's being like what if we took God at his word to plant a church and to keep the things that he says he will bless and promises to the priority from his word. And by God's grace, we get a picture of that today. That, church, I pray, would never, never get old Well, the ushers are going to come forward in a moment to hand out uh, Bibles to those of you who may not have them with you today. And if you need a Bible, make sure you put your hand up nice and high so we can put one in your lap. And if you do not have a Bible at home, we want you to keep that as a gift for you so you can continue to dive in to God's Word on your own. Why? Because God's Word is a very big deal around here, and we bank everything on it that what God says is true it is our authority and it is our only hope because it is the word of God himself Jesus Christ Amen. And so today we are looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verses 11 to 15 and the title of this morning's message is God responds to his people. Do you believe that this morning? God responds to his people. Yes or no? Hands up if you think yes. Yes. Okay good. 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 Keep those hands uh, ready to go because we're going to use them a few times in this Sermon today. We're continuing on in our series called God's Glory in the Nation. This is this third message in this series. And last week um, we looked at how the Lord calls us to live out in the power of Christ our calling to live holy lives and be set apart from the world. This is how God's glory is manifested in and through his people. As we stop trying to blend in with the culture as the church and take up our call to live holy lives. And this week, as an overflow of that, we will look at how God responds. Everybody say, God does respond. Yes. Amen. Amen. God responds to the prayers of his people as they pursue him in faith. That's key. We'll see this in a moment. We'll see this. And why is this so important? Why do we, why do we include this in our series? Why is this essential? Because is this. This came this week, you'll see it on the screen. The response of God to our prayers is intimately connected to our pursuit of God through them. The response of God to our prayers is intimately connected to our pursuit of God through them. We'll see that in a moment. Because there's a problem today. We have a problem today in the church, and it is this. We are way more desirous to say a prayer to God than we are desirous in a passionate pursuit of God. You notice that? We are way more desirous to say a prayer to God than being desirous to passionately pursue Him. You find that true? I find that true. All the time. And there's a disconnect here how about you? Well, me and my wife, this is one of the most convicting messages that I've ever prepared in my life for that reason. And here in this text, we see the people of Israel facing this same issue. Okay, a little context. We're in 946 BC. Last week, in, as we were looking at 1 Peter 1, we we're at 64 AD. Now we're way back in 946 BC. And this is the golden years of Israel's history okay everything's going well King David has passed on and now King Solomon his son is now king over Israel and Solomon's first major act like no pressure eh? no pressure but Solomon's first major act as king was to build the temple of God where God's people would worship him that's a big deal right that's a big deal it is to represent God's presence with his people on earth. Hey, Solomon, I know you're new at this whole thing. Build me a house. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And here in this text, 13 years after Solomon finished the temple, that's going to be key in a moment. We're going to look at that. Thirteen years after Solomon finished the temple, the Lord appears to him, and we see two crucial truths that we must remember as we come before the Lord in prayer and ask him to respond on our behalf. Well, as we come before the Lord to open his word, let's stand to honor the authority of God's word this morning as we read it. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting at verse 11, going to 15. If my people pray... Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. That's his palace. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, God responds to the prayers of his people. First point today, I must trust him for his timing with them. God responds to the prayers of his people. I must trust him for his timing with them. Look at verse 11 and 12. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully Okay, you're going to get a picture of what God's blueprints for this temple were. You'll see it on the screen right here. Here's two pictures. This was no little undertaking that Solomon did, okay? This temple took seven years to build, literally thousands upon thousands of workers, stuff getting shipped from all over the world. What you don't see there is on the inside of the... It's all laid with gold, like this was... God wanted it exact. He's a God of order. This is how he wanted his temple to be constructed, seven years to build. It represented the dwelling place of God with his people on earth. And it was so important that God actually gave these specific instructions for how he wanted it built. And here's the thing with Solomon, he was totally faithful in doing this. He was faithful to follow the Lord in it. Now look at verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night. It's totally done now. God appears to Solomon in the night, and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. The Hebrew word there for heard means to listen to or answer. So we could insert that back in and say, God says, I have listened to your prayer. I have answered your prayer. Now you say, well, what prayer is he talking about? The prayer that the Lord is referring to is Solomon's prayer of dedication that he prayed when the temple, just picture this. Can you see this? The the whole nation of Israel crowded around there. Solomon's on the steps of the temple. He raises his hands to the Lord and 2 Chronicles 6, 12 to 42 outlines that whole prayer. It is magnificent. Spend some time in that. It is beautiful. That's the prayer God's referring to. That uh, once the temple was finished... Solomon asked God to dwell there and to receive or bless the worship that was given from it. That's the summation of Solomon's prayer. We see this 2 Chronicles 6.40. You'll see it on the screen. He says, Now, O my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. Is that our prayer this morning? Is that our prayer this morning for this church? Let your eyes be opened and your ears attentive. To the prayer in this place, oh, I pray it so much that it would be. You see, here the Lord appears to Solomon and tells him that his prayer—he prayed—no, thir- no, notice, this is key truth. This is thirteen years after Solomon prayed that. So this wasn't like Solomon prayed and God shows up that night. This was thirteen years later. And God will now respond to it. Now listen, how awesome is that? God shows up. God shows up. And it's amazing that God not only appears to Solomon, if that was not incredible enough. But now he tells him that he had listened to or answered his prayer. How many of us would love for God to show up like that? Amen? We pray a prayer and we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And God shows up says, I heard it. I heard it. Here's the answer. We need to stop for a moment right here. Put yourself in Solomon's shoes. You have been faithful to follow the Lord. Daniel, can you put that picture back up, please? You have been faithful to follow in the Lord in doing what he asked. All of the work, all of the leading of people... Not cutting corners, but ensuring that things were done exactly how God wanted them done. And you've prayed for 13 years. You started 13 years ago that God would bless the temple and dwell there. That was your heart's desire. And for the past 13 years, you haven't heard anything from him in terms of an answer. Until now. Until now. It brings up a question, doesn't it? Do you ever think, if you're in Solomon's shoes here, do you think that maybe you would begin to wonder if God was going to answer? That if he had actually heard? It's been 13 years. Did God really hear when you called out to him? Was he really going to respond? Here's why we need to stop for a moment and emphasize this with a simple question What's that prayer for you? What's that prayer for you? How long have you been praying that prayer that leads you to wonder if God has heard you? Are you fighting the temptation to believe the lie that he's not going to respond and have you started to give up hope? What is it before you right now? Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe for your marriage. Maybe for your family, your children, your extended family, maybe In regards to finances or or your health or the battle with that addiction or the constant battle with discouragement and fear and anxiety. I mean, what is it for you? You've just been praying, Lord, are you hearing? Can you help me? Are you going to answer? It's been 13 years. Loved ones, be encouraged with this. God never promises his people that we will understand why or how he chooses to respond when he does. He never told Solomon, I waited 13 years for this reason. But he does promise his people, his people, that he will hear and is at work for their good. He promises all of his children that he will hear. And he will work for their good. And he calls us to be faithful and trust him through it. How do I know this? Psalm 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. And his ears toward their cry. The righteous, God's children. Those who confessed him as their Lord and Savior. And from that we can take such comfort in Psalm 27, 14. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. Hey loved one, someone needs to hear this this morning Wait for the Lord He's coming Wait for the Lord Be strong and let your heart Take courage Wait for the Lord Because here's what we have to remember loved ones In our waiting God is working In our waiting, God is working. Never mistake God's patience for his absence. Doesn't your flesh want to fight against that? Never mistake God's patience for his absence. Because here's the reality we have to understand God is not on our schedule. Okay? He's not on our schedule. He calls us to be on his. God is never in a hurry. He's always right on time, and his timing is always perfect. We just saw a glory story this morning. That was an incredible move of God in the life of John and Jessica. And how many years was Jessica praying for God to get a hold of her husband? How many times was she sitting there crying in the dark, saying, God, are you hearing? Can you do something? Will you? And then in a moment, God shows up. And takes care of business. Here, know this, know this. If that's you today, there is no one who's too far for God to not get them. Doesn't matter how adverse they are to the gospel. Doesn't matter how they're pushing you away. Listen, when God shows up on a scene, things change. Can't touch it. I love how John Piper says this. You'll see it on the screen. The strength of patience hangs on our capacity to believe that God is up to something good for us in all our delay and detours. Let's not try to get between the hammer and the work. Our strength of patience hangs on our capacity to believe that God is up to something good for us in all our delays and detours. God responds to the prayers of his people. I must trust him for his timing with them. And from that, in that, I must pursue him in faith through it. I must pursue him in faith through them. Look at verses 13 to 15. This is the Lord responding to Solomon, When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people if everybody say if if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then i will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. How beautiful is that? Verse 13, God says, When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. Here God is giving a summary of the divine punishments that Solomon prayed about in his prayer of dedication. He said, God, when the pestilence comes, when the drought comes, when, hear the prayer from this people and restore your land. He went over this, just go back to 2 Chronicles, chapter 6, and you'll read it all. He's directly answering Solomon's prayer here. And each of these pestilences, each of these acts of God were the punishments that God would send upon the nation of Israel in response to their sin and wickedness towards him. And Okay, we have to understand this. They were specific for that nation because it's what Israel was depending on. Notice what he says. Drought, pestilence. These were things, their crops, their water supply, all of this stuff. This was direct, their, their whole well-being was wrapped up in this. Their whole physical well-being. Look what he says in verse 14. After all that, after I send it, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal Their land. See, God now gives the instruction for what he expects from his people as they seek him in prayer. Yes, Old Testament Israel. Yes, today in all of his children in the church. All Christians. He says, my people. My people. And this is the hinge, loved ones. This is the hinge of the passage where everything starts to turn. Goes to pest from pestilence. To pursuit. Watch. Watch this. One note of clarification. This is one of the most misunderstood and misappropriated passages in all of Scripture. Okay? We must understand this, loved ones. This doesn't mean... This doesn't mean that if we follow the Lord in this, that he will heal our nation and respond exactly the way he promises to respond to Israel here. Context is key. It okay? doesn't mean that if we start humbling ourselves, now all of a sudden the government has a huge makeover and oh, all these things happen. That's not the focus here. This is a good way to sum it. The pursuit of God that he calls his people to is to be constant. The pursuit is called to be constant, but the product or result from that will be whatever God wants it to be for his glory today. Are we clear on that? Are we clear on that, loved ones? All right? The pursuit is the same. The result will be what God, in his sovereign plan, has ordained for it for such a time as this. Okay? Pursuit doesn't change, though. Okay? Okay? God promised that if, you notice there, you notice there in verse 14, if. That's a conditional promise. That's a conditional promise. It's not unconditional where God says, this is going to happen all the time. He says, if. That means there's a condition. That means there's a responsibility that his people have. If the people of Israel were to pursue him faithfully in the way he promised to bless, he would hear their prayer, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now notice, notice the beauty of this verse here. This indicates the sincerity with which the people of Israel were to approach God from the heart. You notice what he's doing here? He's like, you've got the greatest temple on earth. You've built it exactly how I want it. But I'm calling you out of outward ritualism. Notice this. I'm calling you out of just some showing up external. I'll offer my sacrifices to God and he'll be pleased because here's why. The people of Israel had become overconfident in their external sacrifices and they were going through the motions. We've got the temple. God has blessed us. He gave us instruction. We'll just go through the motion, take it for granted. We'll do this. this. God's calling them out of that right now. He says enough of that. I won't hear that anymore. See, God's focus was not the practice of their hands. Just like today, church, as his people, God's focus is not the practice of our hands, but it has everything to do with the posture of our heart. It's not the practice of our hands. It's not showing up every Sunday just to put in your time and say, I did church this week, check. It's the posture of the heart. That God is going after that doesn't change. Now, just think about, think about, live in this text for a moment. Think about what God just said here the magnitude of it. He's not calling his people to work harder. have all the right external actions and do all the right things in front of others. Rather, he's calling them and us today, church, as his people, to pursue him from a right heart that seeks him above all else. Question, does this this describe your pursuit of the Lord? Does it describe mine? Pursuing God, not what we can get from him, but for God himself. Our flesh, oh, so prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. I feel it. Do you, does that describe your pursuit? If we're honest, hey, loved ones, we're in this together. If we're honest, I think we would say that more often than not, our pursuit of the Lord is based on only what we can get from Him and what we want from Him. Let's just keep it real. Only what we can get from him and what we want from him. Our pursuit of what we want is ahead of our pursuit of him for himself. Is that for you? Maybe just me. Maybe just me. Here's the litmus question. That's good to good to keep asking ourselves this. The litmus is this. Is my pursuit of God right now showing that he's enough for me? Is my pursuit of God right now showing that he's enough for me when I don't have a spouse? Is my pursuit of God right now showing that he's enough for me right in the middle of the health crisis? When I don't have the job that I want? When my kids are out of control? Is my pursuit of God right now showing that he's enough for me You fill in the blank. Here's why this question is so important and that God's going after their heart on right here. Because if the answer is that God's not enough for me in that pursuit, here's the reality. This leads us to reducing God to little more than a desire-fulfilling dispenser when we want something from him and we forfeit the infinitely more fulfilling peace, joy, satisfaction, and blessing that is offered in him. And you may ask this question, well, I want that. I'm through pursuing these things, things of this world that if I, even if I get that, it's not gonna satisfy me. There'll be something else to pursue because I'm not pursuing The one who is called to be my pursuit. And ultimately, as Augustine said, uh, he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Beautiful. Yes. It's just going to be something else. Oh, I got what I wanted here. Well, that's not satisfying. Of course. It's not meant to. You say, well, how do I stop this? How do I get out of the cycle? Well, praise the Lord. A loving God tells us right here. He tells us right here. How are we called to pursue God faithfully? He gives us four ways right here. Here it is. Every time, I will say this, I will say this. Every single time we humble ourselves under the Lord and pursue Him like this, God promises to bless. Go back to what God promises to bless all the time. In that situation, what is God promised to bless right here? Here it is. Can't fail. Ready? Number one, humility. His will, not my own. Notice verse 14. If my people who are called by my name, how does he start it off? Humble themselves. Humble themselves. Humility. His will above my own. The Hebrew there for humble is this, to bring down low or to subdue one's pride. Oh man, that's like a dagger in our flesh. Doesn't that just make you uncomfortable? Oh, pride. Right? But this is where everything starts. It's like God knows this or something, and that's why he puts humble first. You can't get to prayer without humbling yourself. We'll get to that in a sec. The posture of humility, if if we could summarize it up this way, we say this, the posture of humility is, Lord, I come under you. Okay? Right there. There's humility. Lord, I come under you. I'm not asking you to get under me. I come under you. It's saying God before me, his will before mine, and his glory, not my own. That just makes your flesh real uncomfortable really fast. His will, his glory before Mind. So often we pray from a place of asking God to just fill our needs in our way in our time and we spend more time asking God for stuff than humbling ourselves before him saying you must increase I must decrease right now but the job deadlines coming up what am I going to do if I don't God's got that but do you have him. Here, someone to take home today. God's got it, but do you have him? There you go, done. God's got it, but do you have him? To summarize what God is saying here, right out of the gate in verse 14, he says, if they humble themselves, he's saying this, we have his expression around here in harvest, it says this, get low and stay there. fast get low fast and stay there why 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 James 4 6 you'll see it on the screen God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble you know the Greek word for opposition there means God is actively working against you it's not gonna go well just spoiler alert it's just not gonna go well And he does that not because he wants to punch you, because he loves you. He's saying, you're pursuing something that isn't me. It's only going to harm you. The most loving thing he can do is bring us back to himself. See, here's here's the thing, loved ones. God always responds to the one who is humble. God always responds to the one who is humble. You ever notice this picture in nature? Water always flows to the lowest place. Same thing. Living water always flows to the lowest place. This came to mind this week. I wonder how many of us are unable to discern God's response to our prayers simply because we're unwilling to humble ourselves under it. Under Him. How many of us are today are unable to discern God's response to our prayers because we're unwilling to humble ourselves under Him in Him? How about you? Are you pursuing God in humility? Are you, simple question? Are you pursuing God in humility, saying, God, your will for this situation, not mine? Not my time, not my way. Here, you want to know the most beautiful place? Humility you can get to is when you say, whatever you want, Lord. I'm releasing myself of having to be God whatever you want, whoever you want, whenever you want, for whatever you want. Four ways we are called to pursue God faithfully and he promises to bless. Number one, we're called to pursue him in humility. Lord, I come under you. Number two, this leads to, we're called to pursue him in prayer. My hope in him alone. My hope in him alone. Look at verse 14 again. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, next step, and pray, and pray. What is prayer? Prayer is a declaration of our dependence upon God. That's what prayer is. Prayer is a declaration of our dependence on God. The posture of prayer says, Lord, I need you. Posture of humility says, Lord, I come under you. The posture of prayer says, Lord, I need you. See, you can't get to Lord, I need you if you're not like, Lord, I come under you. Okay? And so if if prayer is our declaration of dependence on God, then what's prayerlessness? Just look at the opposite. It's our declaration of independence. Lord, I don't need you on this. I just got, I, I know, how, I know my job. I know how to do this. I've got the skills. I've got, I don't need you to give me wisdom on how to care for my crying kid right now. I, I, you know what? I've parented four kids. I know what I'm doing. Oh, I don't. I have four kids. Just saying, right? This is just becoming more real. <laughs> Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Please help. All right. But notice this though, our level of depend- if if prayer is our declaration of dependency on God, then look, our level of dependency is seen through our level of frequency of prayer. You notice that? Our level of dependency is always seen through level of frequency. You pray more, it shows greater dependence. You're like, Lord, I can't, like we started to do this on, on the way to the grocery store. Lord, give us wisdom on what to get. You've given us a budget to financially steward what you've given us. Don't let us get stuff that isn't going to honor you in that. Now, God's not going down the the, the grocery store, I'll say, get the mini-wheats above the raisin bran. But he will promise to bless it because He's like they want to steward that for my glory. And he uses it to draw us closer to him. Because now he's involved in it. Because when man works, man works. Great. But when man prays, God works. God works. God goes to work. John 15, 5 says this. You'll see it on the screen. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart, this is just chilling to the flesh. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Hey, spoiler alert, loved ones. You and I were never created to be independent or autonomous. Just saying. Let's stop striving to be and start walking in freedom. We were never created to be independent. Yes, unique. Yes, fearfully and wonderfully. Never created to be autonomous. We were created to be dependent. Humble prayer is the response of the person that recognizes God's greatness and our need for him because he is our only hope. That's why Curtis said in announcements, we have a saying here, without prayer, we are dead. We are dead. Hey, look around. Look around us in the world today, in our nation. How much opposition is coming against the church today? Do you think we need to be praying, Lord, I need you? You think we can handle this on our own? Not a chance. Not a chance. And stay faithful. Churchwide prayer night, Wednesday. Right there. Is that your cry? Lord, I need you. If this church is going to go forward, it's only going to be because of the Lord. God will respond to the prayers of his people to accomplish his will. Will you be a part of that? I just, I shamelessly call you to that because he promises to bless it when his people gather to pray. We need him so much or this stops. That's the reality. I love how John Piper says this. You'll see it on, on the screen. He says, prayer grows in the soil of humility. Oh, I love that. Prayer grows in the soil of humility. None of us would pray as we ought without the humility to admit helplessness. None of us would pray as we ought without the humility to admit helplessness. Pride crusher. All right, four ways of pursuing God that he promises to bless, that he tells us so clearly here. Number one, humility. Lord, I come under you. Number two, prayer. Lord, I need you. Number three, in desire, seeking his presence above all. Look what he goes on to say in verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and here it is, and seek my face. The Hebrew for face means the same as presence. Presence. So, and seek my presence, okay? This is an intimate presence. We'll get to, well, what about God being omnipresent? That's not what he's talking about. This is an intimacy manifested presence. The posture of desire says, Lord, I want you. See, I think most of us can get to the place where we're like, this isn't working the way I'm doing things. Lord, I need you. Yeah, but do you actually want him? There's things I need to do that I don't want to do. So let's not make the mistake of thinking our need for God is the same as us wanting Him. It says, Lord, I want you. God blesses those who genuinely seek his presence and pursue him above all else as their first love and desire it is the pursuit of the heart that knows that everything we need is in him do you believe that this morning everything you need in that circumstance everything you need in that job search everything you need in that health crisis everything it is in him it is in him And notice this, notice this, what he says here in verse 14. God doesn't tell his people, notice what he's doing, he's like, okay, don't seek out the next opportunity, don't seek out the next opportunity, technique, or resource that will heal the land. He says, seek my face. Seek my face. Because here's the truth, you'll see it on the screen. Our pursuit of God, this is, this is just... Incredible! Our pursuit of God is ultimately not about getting anything from God, but God Himself. No, don't ask me for wisdom on the next technique here. Seek my face, Jesus says, Matthew six thirty three. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and what? I love the tagline. All these things will be added to you. Jesus, is like, I got that, but do you have me? Do you have me? See. And some may say, well, well, wait a second. I thought God's presence was always with us. Isn't he omnipresent everywhere? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. But the presence that God is speaking of here is his manifest and intimate presence with his people. And this doesn't come if we neglect him and do not pursue him for it. He loves us too much to force himself on us. Love how A.W. Tozer puts this. You'll see it up on the screen. He says, if we cooperate with him in loving obedience, God will manifest himself to us. Oh, And that manifestation will be the difference between a nominal Christian life and a life radiant with the light of his face. That's awesome. The creator of the universe That's why he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, that he would manifest himself among us and our lives would radiate his glory, that people would come and be drawn to him. The greatest gift that we could ever have is the presence of God himself. Do you believe that? That's going to fuel your prayers. That's going to get you low very quickly if you really believe the greatest gift you and I could ever have is the presence of God himself. Because here's the reality. If God's not enough for you, without you having that thing you're desiring, he will never be enough for you with it. There will always be something else. If God is not enough for you without a spouse, he won't be enough for you with one. In perfect health, with a job, with wisdom and clarity on the decision you make, won't be enough for you with it, if that's your main pursuit. The worst possible outcome in any situation we face, loved ones, is getting what we want, but miss getting God in the process. He has you in that position for a reason. He has you in that period of waiting, that period of waiting for him to respond for a reason. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he hears you and he's heard your prayers. He's up to something good. Will you continue to pursue him in it? So question before we move on to our last point is this, what's your greatest pursuit of God for? What's your greatest pursuit of the Lord for? For what you can get or for the one who can give it? What's your greatest pursuit of God for? For what you can get or for the one who can give it? Four ways we're called to pursue God faithfully. Number one, humility, saying, Lord, I come under you. Number two, in prayer, Lord, I need you. Number three, in desire, Lord, I want you. And number four, in repentance, Turn from my sin. Turn towards him. Look at verse 14. If my people who are called by my name. Humble themselves and pray. And seek my face. And here it is. Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. And will forgive their sin. And heal their land. The posture of repentance says. Here it is. Lord I turn to you. Lord I turn I turn to you. God's people are called to have a godly sorrow over their sin, which leads them to turn away from it and turn towards him. This is showing the fruit, bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. A changed life. This isn't just some feeling sorrowful about the consequences of your sin that you now have. Rather, it's the grief that you have from sinning against Almighty God and not having to go through the consequences of that, but that you sinned against the Lord. How do we know this? 2 Corinthians seven ten. Love this. He says here, you'll see it up, up top there. For godly grief, godly grief, there it is, produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief, well, I'm sorry I'm going through these sins and I'm sorry that, you know, that relationship's damaged and things like that, it leads to death. Because you're not genuinely repentant. It's only when we come to the place of, I've sinned against the Lord, that we can start to walk in repentance. Genuine repentance always leads to genuine change. Walking in repentance restores and realigns our hearts back to God and with each other. With each other. And with that everything that flows out of them the minds emotions wills desires starts to get realigned back to the Lord through repentance we receive forgiveness and those areas of our heart that were enslaved to sin here's the awesome news this is why we needed a savior they are reconciled back to him as our relationship with him is restored in that area that's awesome that is good news and so how about you how about me are you pursuing God through genuine repentance? Pursuing God through genuine repentance means we genuinely repent to one another when we've sinned against them, whether they realize it or not. Have you been talking sinfully, critically, negatively, gossipfully about a brother or sister in Christ? It's quenching the Holy Spirit in your life. It's on us. Genuine repentance always leads to genuine change. Turn, God says, from your wicked ways. Does your life show genuine change from sin, from those sinful patterns you've been struggling with? This was so convicting for me this week. Because here's what we have to realize, loved ones. Here's the good news on this. You say, "This this is impossible on my own. I can't do it. And you're absolutely right. It is impossible to faithfully pursue God this way in our own strength. We will fail every time. Our pride is too great. Our flesh is too strong. And on our own, we cannot pursue God through humility, through prayer, be desirous of him and walk in genuine repentance of our sin. But here's the awesome thing. The impossible pursuit of God has to come from the power of the one who is able to do the impossible and who all of these things are fulfilled in. Here it is. We need a savior and God in his great love for us gave us one by sending his only son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sin and rise again loved ones three days later so that in him as we repent of our sin confess him as our Lord and Savior we may have new life and be given the power to pursue God and to see him respond on our behalf. Bring it on. Amen? It is through Christ alone that God says, look at 15 and we finish with this, now, now, because of my son in your life, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. That's good news. Amen? That's good news. As we approach God's throne of grace with confidence in prayer, trusting him for his timing And pursuing him in faith for his glory in our lives and in this nation. How will you respond to this today, loved ones? How will you respond? If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's the invitation. He's like, you don't got to clean yourself up. You come just as you are because that's why I came to you. You can't save yourself. This isn't going to happen on your own by trying hard or white-knuckling. You're going to continue to feel hopeless. You're going to continue to feel fearful. You're going to continue to be enslaved. I'm talking to someone in this room this morning. You're going to continue to be gripped by worry and anxiety and fear and doubt. And he says, come home. Come home. Humble yourself. You need me. You were made to need me. And if you're here and you have trusted Christ as your Savior, are you walking in this, a faithful pursuit of him? What is it that we need to repent of that's taken his place, that we refuse to humble ourselves under and say, Lord, I need you. Please come and respond. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, who are we to hear such glorious truth? God, we are the ones, I am the one in need of a savior every day. And thank you that through your love for us, you sent us your son, Jesus Christ. God, I ask right now, there would be people in this room who stop striving, who get low. Lord, start with me. Lord, who, rep- who are quick to repent of sin, who desire you above all as the greatest treasure we could ever have and in you realize that we have all we need. Lord, realign our hearts back to yours. Together as a church, individually as men and women, you have called to yourself and I pray that God, if there's anyone here who's running that race apart from you, they would say, today is the day I stop and I humble myself, repent of my sin and confess Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, is my only hope for this. Lord, do a great work in this place now as we respond to you with this prayer. Oh, may it be an anthem, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.